0: The following sermon is from Faith Bible Church, located in Murrieta, California. More information about Faith Bible Church is available at www.faith-bible.net. I'm confident that at some point in your life you saw a Western and they were moving cattle from some obscure place in Texas, trying to get it to the railroad station a thousand miles away. And uh, you get them to market, and so they're cowboying and cowgirling, so to speak, getting those cattle to where they're supposed to go. But in the midst of all that, what cowboys have to do is they have to chase after strays. You know what a stray is, when the cattle goes off by itself, and they got to get it back to the safety of the herd, and so you got to rope them, you got to tie them, you got to chase after them and basically be a part of that. Now, I'm sure that Westerns are definitely not as popular as they were back then uh, in my childhood, but definitely you're familiar with that. And interesting enough, as James concludes his letter, and if you're new with us, we've been studying the epistle of James now for months and months and months, verse by verse, walking through what the author intended to communicate. And as he concludes it, he encourages us, he challenges us, he commands us, To chase after strays, spiritual strays. So open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of James, chapter 5, and the last two verses, as the half brother of our Lord Jesus Christ commands you to take on the role of a spiritual cowboy and a spiritual cowgirl, right? I mean, maybe you think you've got the moves to pull this off, Uh, maybe you think you can steer them back in the right direction. Or maybe you think that what I just said was an utter catastrophe. And even though you might be past your bedtime right now, we want to we basically challenge you to be uniquely cowboyish. You don't need boots, you don't need a line dance, but you do need to be transformed by Jesus Christ to really accomplish what James is challenging you at the very end of this epistle. In fact, what he says is there stated in your outline. I want you to look at that. James chapter 5, verses 19 to 20. Last week, we looked at basically verses 13 through 18, and now we're concluding this first New Testament letter that was ever written with these words. Read it out loud with me, if you would, from your outline so we can read it together. Everyone together, starting in verse 19. Here we go. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back... Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. James is telling you to wrangle up some strays. People who, in this particular letter, he challenged you again and again and again and again that faith without works is... That's a stray. A stray is someone who lives a faith... ...who claims Christ, but their faith doesn't manifest itself in good works. There's no transformation that has occurred. So they claim Christ, but they don't manifest the reality of Christ through their life. And that's what he's talking about. He's trying to expose the phony and false faith of people who attend church... ...who say they're Christians, but it's not manifested. And so he's saying, get concerned, Christian about those people who drift away, who are marginal, who don't obey God's word, those who don't obey God's command, those who wander away from the truth of God's word as a way of life. Not one time, not just a few times, but as a way of life. Pursue them, chase them down, love them back to Christ. Share with them the true gospel because the true gospel transforms you. When it transforms you, you manifest good works. Faith without works is dead. But faith, then when it's genuine, will manifest itself in works. You don't do good works to get saved, but once you're saved, you do good works. And that's what he's challenging us as those who are straying are those who are not living out their faith in any way. They're committed to it. So two different hearts are going to be manifested this morning. One is the heart of the stray. We're going to get to understand them a little bit but also those who chase after strays, right? And that's supposed to be you. His challenge here is to Christians to go after the strays, the people who are not manifesting a faith that works. And so some of you love chasing after strays. You know, you're just an automatic cowboy, cowgirl. You love it. When you see them not living their faith out, you're, you're like, hey, something's off here, and you go after them. There's others of you going, you know what? I'm too busy discipling and teaching and leading to really be bothered by them. So I want you to test your scale. Some of you are more prone to chase after strays. Some of you are less prone to chase after strays. The question is, where are you? I remember when I was first convicted over this, I was a fellow, one of my interns, his name was Tom. Tom has gone on now since that day and a long time ago when the earth crust was hardening and dinosaurs still roamed the earth way back when. Tom has now since then planted about 12 to 15 churches in the United States. But back then, you saw Tom's heart for the stray. Because every Friday and every Saturday, he'd be out there surfing with people who were marginal in their faith. He would spend hours and hours and hours with them, talking to them about what real Christians are, what real Christians do, what it means to be born again. And he would do this for two years before they would actually, some of them, respond to the true gospel so Tom had a credible heart. Others of you in this room are like, I don't want to spend my time with people who don't care about Jesus. I mean, they, you know, they, they don't want to live for Christ. That's fine. I'm just going to move on, go on with my life. I want you to evaluate, where are you at today? Does that make sense? I want you to evaluate. Are you one of the one, two, or three on the compassion scale? Or are you a you know, seven, eight, nine, or ten on the compassion scale? Which one are you? Because James is saying to us, let's grow a little bit. If you're a one, two, and three, why don't you shoot for a five, or a six, or a seven, if you're a seven, then go for ten. You know He wants you to say, I want you to pursue those who are marginal in their walk with God, and we don't quite know where they're at. I want you to pursue them. And why should you do that? Because our Lord Jesus Christ chases after people, does he not? Does he not? Did you not see it with the woman at the well, or him weeping over Jerusalem, or his patience toward the very hard-hearted Pharisees? Later on, when the Spirit descended and the church was birthed, some of those Pharisees came to Christ. It actually tells us in the text, the Pharisees were coming to know Jesus and his compassionate heart toward the prodigal son. Our goal, of course, and as we're sharing the gospel, is not to have the people make a decision. We want them to be a Christ follower, a disciple, a learner of Jesus. Uh, we want them to be not embracing a religion. Who cares about religion? We want them to be in a genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. We want them to know God personally and intimately because the Bible teaches, are you ready? If you come to Christ, you will become like Christ. Listen, if you are justified, you will be sanctified. You will be. In fact, James is calling all of us who live a faith with works to be reaching out to those who have a faith without works, the stray. I want you to chase them down, he's saying here. Our Lord had incredible compassion for those who are lost, and that includes the stray, the person who says, I'm a Christian, but you don't see any fruit in their life at all. These verses are for you, these verses are for me, for us to grow in our compassion towards those without Christ. But here's the key, are you ready? Most often, we're trying to share with somebody who makes no claim to be a Christian. But James is saying, I want you to say, if somebody's coming up to you you go, yeah, I'm a Christian, don't stop in your witnessing. Find out if they have a faith that works, a faith that is transformational, a faith that comes from a heart that has been born again and it manifests itself. Go after them and love them. You say, how do we do it? He gives us five different ways out of these two verses. Take a look at these two verses again one more time in your outline. My brethren, if any among you, what? Strays. Say it. What? Strays. strays from the truth. They're strays. We're looking for them. The one turns him back, then let him know he, he turns a sinner from the error of his way, will save his soul from death, and will cover a multitude of sins. Again, the entire letter of James was made up of tests. And these tests will basically, that we'll look at next time, next week, these tests. Determine if you have a living faith, if you have a faith that works, genuine saving faith. Last week, we talked about those Christians who were abused by torture. They were under persecution and they got kind of wiped out. And they were so wiped out by their abuse from the government and abuse by the torture of being a Christ follower or being a a, a Jewish individual who now followed the Messiah Christ. ...from even Jewish overseers, etc., that basically they were so beat up so badly and hurt so badly... ...they didn't know and others didn't know whether they were truly saved or not. So he's challenging now as he wraps up this letter to say, look, this whole letter was about tests... ...and even these weakened believers need to know if they're genuinely born again. Now, you know, if you've studied your Bible at all, that eternal security is based upon a sovereign God... ...so you can't lose your faith. Once saved always saved. Can I hear an amen? When you're in, it's because God caused you to be in and he's the one who holds you. So eternal security. But the Bible teaches that your experience of eternal security is called assurance. And assurance of salvation is based upon the obedient direction of your life. The obedient direction of your life. How you know you're eternal secure is by you following Christ. And that Christ is manifested through your life. You say, where do you get that, Chris? I'm so glad you asked. Look at 2 Corinthians 13, 5. He says, test yourselves. Say that with me, everybody. Test yourselves. That's a command to see if you're in the faith. Are you in the faith? Examine yourselves. Or do you not recognize this about yourselves that Jesus Christ is what? In you. Unless you indeed fail the test. Assurance is not based on eternal security. Once saved, always saved. Assurance, how you know that you're saved, is based on fruit. It's based on Christ in you. Christ, when he's in you, will be manifested through you. That's why 2 Peter 1, verse 10 adds, Therefore, brethren, Christians, be all the more diligent to make... What's that next word? Certain. Jesus Christ wants you to be certain about his calling and choosing you for as long as you practice these things and what he just talked about in 1st Peter chapter 1 or 2nd Peter chapter 1 was diligence and faith and moral excellence these qualities are to be increasing in your life and if they are you will never stumble you will make certain because you see this fruit through your life so assurance is based on life direction fruit evidences that Christ is in you and James has been testing his readers for fruit That's why he says, your faith without fruit is dead. Your faith without works is not true saving faith. Understand, if you're just hearing the word and not doing the word, then you don't have genuine faith. You say perfectly? No, progressively. You want to pursue him, even when you fail to. So he's saying those not living by the tests of this particular letter are demonstrating a false faith. Is there a false faith today? Are there tares growing up among the wheat? Yes. And so he says in verses 13 and 18, there were some who were so weakened in their faith that they couldn't tell and nobody else could tell whether they're genuinely born again or not. So James is basically showing you today that those who stray from obedience to the truth of God's word in their lifestyle are straying from the Lord and they need spirit-filled cowboy, cowgirl to wrangle them back, to tell them, look, faith without works is dead. You need to be crying out to Christ to change your heart, not just accepting Jesus, but changing your life so that you want to follow him, you want to please him. You say, how do you do it? Now listen, there are two things that are true about anybody in this room who's astray. Two things. One or the other, are you ready? Number one, you are disobedient awaiting God's discipline. That's it. Number one, if you're astray, there's no works coming out of your faith, there's no manifestation of Christ in you, then you're either disobedient and God's going to work up a nice, good spanking for you, because he says in Hebrews 12, "He will spank all his own children when you walk in disobedience, or you're deceived awaiting damnation. That's it. Those are the only two choices you have. You're either. Disobedient, awaiting God's discipline, or dis- dis- deceived and awaiting God's damnation. So, how are we going to then work on the stray? How are we going to go after them? Well, five steps here in this particular passage. Take a look at step number one in your outline. Look for the accurate evidence of straying. Look for the accurate evidence of straying. You know, having a bad day, having an argument with your spouse impatience with your kids, waking up sore, disappointed that Teslas are so expensive, uh, really, really upset that Chick-fil-A is still closed on Sunday, does not make you astray. It doesn't. Listen, struggling, weak, hurting, doesn't mean you're astray. James says, look for accurate evidence. You say, what is that? Look at verse 19. He tells you, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth... He who turns a sinner from the error of his way. Listen, James makes it clear. He's talking to Christians, right? He says, first thing, my brethren. He's talking to my brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, if you are there, James wants born-again, faith-working, fruit-bearing, obedient Christians to be reaching out to those who are not manifesting fruit. And he wants them to call them to a genuine faith. Now, he's pointed and clear. He says they are, look at verse 19, among you, if any among you. So they're going to church, they're claiming to know Christ, they say they belong to Christ but they've strayed, they've wandered from the faith, they're living their own way, not Christ's way, they're basically saying they have faith but it doesn't work, it doesn't give, it doesn't serve, it doesn't love, it doesn't disciple, currently, and basically the New Testament is filled with illustrations of this, Hebrews chapter 6 describes strays as those who, they were enlightened, they tasted, they even were partakers, but they've fallen away. They were never saved in the first place. 1 John 2.19 describes strays as those who leave the faith. Look what he says. 1 John 2.19, they went out from us, but they were not really, what? Of us. us. They They didn't belong to us. For if they had been of us, they would have remained with us. But they went out so that they would be shown that they are not of us. Now, he's talking about people who left, not to go to another church, but people who left and just gone their own way. And Jesus reminds you, and he reminds me, that everyone who says they're a Christian is not necessarily a Christian. Jesus says this. What does he say? Matthew chapter 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles? And I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice ongoing as a lifestyle, what? Lawlessness, sin, uh, disobedience. To stray is to be the unsaved professor. Somebody who professes Christ, but they're unsaved. They're deceived about the truth. The stray is one who apostatizes from the, the faith they once prof- uh, professed. They, most often, they don't deny Christ, but they do deny a biblical Christianity. So, they, you know, they want Jesus, but they want their own form of salvation. And usually a salvation that's free, which is good, but easy, which is not. And a salvation that doesn't produce works, obedience, discipling, giving, dying to self, or suffering. They come up, get this down, a self-designed Christianity, not a biblically defined Christianity. They come up with a self-designed Christianity, not a biblically defined Christianity. Since the birth of the church, there have always been tares among the what? The wheat. So there's rocky, shallow, thorny soils of heart that produce no spiritual fruit, those who draw near to God with their words, but their hearts are far away from him, they're the ones who hear the word, but they don't, what? Do the word. So what's the evidence we look for? Well, look at verse 19. He says, they stray from the truth. Look at it, verse 19. And they live a lifestyle of error. The error of his way. You see those there? Now, that word stray, follow with the understanding of this particular word, in Greek, it comes from the same word that describes planets. You say, now, why is stray called a planet? Well, because when you look at the heavens, the stars are pretty much in fixed positions, right? In our particular hemisphere, they pretty much stay the same. That maybe rotates a little bit, but basically the sky stays the same. But when you look for the planets, they're popping up everywhere. They're going everywhere. They're always out of you know the, the heavens, and, and they're considered by the early astronomers as the wanderers. The planets are the stars that don't stay in the same place. And that's where we get this idea of stray. They've wandered from a fixed position. They wander from the truth. They wander from what is right. They wander from Christ. They've drifted from Christ in his word. Are you getting it? That's where that word comes from. And the sign of a stray is they fail to live the truth as a way of life. They violate the clear teaching of Scripture. Now, get this not once, not for a week, not for a month but as a way of life. Don't get so rigid that you're going, oh man, I'm astray. I blew it today. No, no, no. You've got to be ongoing in a lifestyle to be astray. Ongoing in a lifestyle. So the truth here is referring to the word of God, primarily an accurate gospel explanation. And would you agree, Christians, that we are people of truth? Yes? Okay, all three of you. Really, are we people of truth? Yes, yes understand. The truth is what saves you. The truth is what sanctifies you. Our Savior is the way and the truth. All right? We speak truth. We are people of truth. And truth in the Scripture is something we obey, we display, we speak it, we witness to it. In fact, we are to not merely be studying the truth. We are to be people who live the truth. We're not to affirm it with our mouths. We're to submit to the authority of the truth. And that is the Scriptures. The Word of God. And the stray not only ignores the word of God, the truth, but embraces, he says here, error as a way of life. See that? The, the error of his way. And that error is not only errant theology, but it is also errant lifestyle. Listen, little hint, error of lifestyle and error of theology go hand in hand. Whenever you see errant theology, it's going to come out in lifestyle. Whenever you see errant lifestyle, you're going to see some errant theology. They go hand in hand. John MacArthur would put it this way, quote, Despite any outward profession of faith that they might make, those who live in open defiance of God's word do not belong to him. You get it? Despite any outward profession of faith they might make, those who live in open defiance of God's word do not belong to him, end quote. James is teaching, verse 19, that true believers must turn the sinner from the error of his way. Every time that sinner is used in the New Testament, it refers to a non-Christian. He's talking about a non-Christian. In fact, even though they claim Christ, Christ is not in them. A sinner is someone in need of salvation in the New Testament. So yes, yes, I know you're thinking this right now. Christians do sin, right? But their sin will not be the continual unbroken practice of sin characterizing their life. You might want to write this down. This will maybe help you. Sin is the ongoing fight of the Christian. It is not their fun. It's their fight, not their fun. Sin is the ongoing problem of a Christian, not the accepted pattern of a Christian. Sin is the constant trouble for a Christian. It is not the ongoing trait of a Christian. Are you getting the difference there? They're not known for it. They're known to fight it. They're known to you know, be troubled by it. They're, they're, they're struggling with it. It's not an accepted pattern of their life, even though they're battling with it all the time. So when a so-called believer stops living as a way of life by the truth of God's word, then they are astray. They are in the worst possible position. They're in the same position as a non-Christian, a pagan. They are unsaved, and they are needing saving faith, a faith that will manifest itself in what? What? works faith without works is dead so what does this lead to it leads to a little bit of danger ready step two in your outline be lovingly motivated to rescue strays from danger be lovingly motivated to rescue strangers from danger is there anything worse than thinking you're a christian but hearing from the lord why do you call me lord lord and do not do what i say right and then add to that what would even be worse than that Would be to stand before him in judgment when he says, depart from me, I never, what? Knew you. That would be the worst thing ever. So even though they don't want to hear it, even though they will call you judgmental, even though you may longer be friends with them, tell them the truth. Tell them the true gospel that their faith should manifest itself in, what? Works. Works. They don't do good works to get saved, but once they're saved, they do good works. And James says in verse 20, that will, verse 20, save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. If they're not living as a way of life by the truth of God's word, James says their eternal soul is at stake, their entire person. Now, when the Bible uses soul, it most often is referring to a body and a spirit, immaterial and material together make a living soul. When you die, your spirit separates from your body, so there's nothing going on here in the body, but your spirit is then, if you're a Christian, in the presence of the Lord. When you're resurrected, then you're rejoined with a glorified body, and now you are a living soul. So when he's using the term soul here, he's talking about eternal things here. They are threatened with death. You say, what kind of death? Well, because he's using soul, body, and spirit, James is talking about eternal death, the second death. Now, the second death is... The same thing that Jesus talked about, who talked more about hell than he did heaven. And Jesus and basically manifested that, and now his half-brother James is doing the same. James is referring to eternal hell. He's talking about unending torment, the second death. And this is one of those nightmare verses in your Bible, Revelation chapter 21, verse 8. It says this terrifying truth. But for the cowardly, the unbelieving, the abominable, the murderers, the immoral person, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the what? Second death. Physical death, the first death, second death, the ongoing death, the second death. So those with false faith have chosen their own way over God's way, and they need to be warned by Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. There is a way which seems right to a man or a woman, but its end is the way of what? Death. death. The stray needs to be rescued from their sins, the error of their way. The wages of sin is death. Eternal death awaits all who are not on God's narrow path of salvation. Hell is real. It is torment forever. If you don't submit to Christ, and James is clarifying here, by adding the rest- Rescuing of your soul will cover a multitude of sins. The only way for God's love to cover your multitude of sins is for you to turn to Christ and be transformed. That's the point. A lot of people make a decision, they walk forward, they had an experience once, but they weren't transformed. When you're a Christian, you are transformed, born again by Christ, and saved body and spirit for all eternity. Your sin must be judged. My sin must be judged. Even nice-going, church-going people have rebelled against God for their sins must be punished. The choice is simple. Here's the simple choice. Here's the only option you've got. Either Christ takes your punishment for your sins on the cross in the past or you take the punishment for your sins in the future forever. That's it. That's the only choice you have. But when Christ is your substitute, When he takes the punishment on the cross for your sins upon himself, and when he gives you his righteousness, which covers you and basically makes you able to stand in God's presence and justification, that genuine salvation, when it's real, will transform you. It regenerates you. It gives you a faith that works, a faith that follows Christ progressively, not perfectly. He gives you a faith that wants to obey the truth of God's word imperfectly and yet intentionally. How many of you as Christians still battle with sin? Can I see your hands? you're going to do that until all the way to heaven it's never going to go away but the issue in your heart is that he gave you a heart that I don't want to do that anymore I don't want to live that way anymore I don't like this and I want to follow Christ I want to please him even when you fail to laying on the ground you just blew it you just sinned you're still going to say I still want to follow Christ because he gave you a new heart a new heart and that's what has to happen Those with faith without works are those who have not been born again. They haven't been transformed. So that is why the obedient must pursue the disobedient. Step number three in your outline, embrace the importance of you chasing after strays. Embrace the importance of you chasing after strays. You can't always wait. You can't always make love your excuse. You can't always hope that your lifestyle will somehow impact your friends or your neighbors you can't always rely on gentle hints you must never use god's sovereignty as an excuse to be passive james says you must act you must talk to them you must pursue listen it's going to be uncomfortable they're going to sometimes look at you and go i don't like what you're saying here but if there's faith and they say i'm a christian but there's no works there's no manifestation there's no christ through them you've got to talk to them If you have a faith that works, you need to pursue those who have a faith that doesn't work. And that's what he's saying here in verse 19. Look at it. My brethren, if any among, what's the next word? You strays from the truth, and one, that's you, turns him back. Verse 20, then let him, that's you, know that he, that's you, have turned the sinner from the error of his way and will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins james says you who are following christ in obedience not perfectly but progressively in the church if you see a professing attender who basically claims faith but has no works then he the one he him three pronouns there tell you to reach the stray with the truth go after him it's your job christian you have the ministry of reconciliation Therefore, it's not the elder's job, not the shepherd's job, not the ministry leader's job. It is your job, every one of you. Bringing wandering sinners who profess Christ to Christ is the duty of every believer. Listen, you are responsible to share. God's responsible to save. God is sovereign in salvation. You are responsible to share. And James says, realize those who don't have a faith that works are in eternal danger. Let that spur you on to share pointedly with them don't allow their profession, I'm a Christian, to get in the way. Because they're in the same danger as the lost pagan. In fact, the heart of Christ is to seek and to save that which is lost. And few things bring greater joy to heaven than when his enemies become his repentant friends. Again, God is sovereign in salvation, but you are responsible to share. And James pointedly here is jabbing you and jabbing me with the spurs of truth in order for you to accept the cowboy job of sharing with those who claim christ but don't look don't act don't speak like christ they're strays that's what he's talking about james says to you who follow christ stop accepting the person who says i'm a christian from you know basically anyone who doesn't live like it including your kids including your spouse including family members including your neighbors or fellow workmates don't remain silent to those who live a dead faith be pointed with those who don't follow christ nor desire to obey his word i don't know what it is but somehow in the christian culture now it's like you just can't do that but the bible says something totally opposite The Christian culture says, no, you can't talk to them if they claim Christ. I say, wait a minute. James is here telling you if they're not living faith that works, you got to tell them. You got to tell them. Those who are in Christ must speak to those who are out of Christ, who have no transformation, those who say they have justification but show no sanctification. Listen, the Bible very clearly, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, Pursue sanctification without which no one will see God. If you are not being sanctified, you are not his child. You say, Chris, that's pretty hard. No, look, there's going to be sh- fruit somewhere. It might be a shriveled up grape under a leaf somewhere. You've got to look to find it, but there's going to be fruit somewhere in their life. You say, well, Chris, then what do you say to the stray? I'm so glad you asked. Step number four, invite strays to genuine conversion. Genuine conversion. Genuine conversion. The book of James clearly tells you your faith must work. You need to be not just a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Uh, You're going to want to be separate from the world. All the tests of James, impartial love for others. If not, James says you've got to turn them back. Turn them. And if they're straying from those truths, then be one who turns them. Look at verse 20. Let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his way will save a soul from death and we'll cover a multitude of sins. The Greek word for turn there means this. Are you ready to look up here? You're going this way, and you turn. Isn't that great? That's what it means. Turning is actually 180 degrees. I'm doing my way, and now I'm doing Christ's way. I was doing my thing, now I'm following his word. It's a turn of repentance, a change of direction. And when you're talking to a stray, you're going, look, you're living this way. You're saying you're a Christian. You're living this way. You need to be following this way. And if you're not following this way, the Bible's telling you here, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. It doesn't matter what you say. In fact, that's why the word turn is used in the New Testament multiple times to talk about conversion. Take a look at these verses. Luke chapter 1, verse 16. He will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. Acts 9. And all who lived at Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Same word. Acts twenty six eighteen, To open their eyes so that they may turn. I love this phraseology, don't you? From darkness to light. From the dominion of Satan to the dominion of God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, all of them, and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Verse 20, keep declaring that they should repent and turn to God, performing what? Works, deeds, manifested, appropriate to repentance. Paul even encouraged the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, with the remainder and the reminder that they had turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And James is telling you now, turn them. Say, turn from your sin and repentance and turn to depend on Christ in faith. In other words, be converted, be turned. It's a verb of hope. What he's saying here is that he's hoping that God will use you to be the vehicle in which God then transforms them. God's doing the transforming. You're sharing the message. And you're to call weak professors, make-believers, those whose faith is dead and useless, to turn in genuine conversion. You're wanting to turn the tear into weak. In fact, you're calling them to stop living for things and start living for Christ. You're calling them to stop worshiping idols and start worshiping the Lord. You're calling them to stop doing things their way and start doing things Christ's way. Stop following your feelings and start living by the truth of God's word. And James uses that word turn. Are you ready? We want to write this down if you can. Turning people from a faith that doesn't work, turning to a faith that results in works. You're turning people from a faith that doesn't work, turning to a faith that results in works. Again, these church attenders are on the wrong path. Look at verse 20 again. From the error of his way. And that word way there is talking about a path, a road, a life direction. These pseudo-believers are on the wrong road doctrinally and or behaviorally. And again, those things go together. To turn them, God has to do it, but you've got to be bold. You've got to step in the gap. You have to learn the word of theology. Why? Because you've got to cut through all the bad and false ways that people are being called to Christ today. What you see most often in Christianity, just accept Jesus in your heart. That's, that's not salvation, friends. It's about you hating your sin, crying out to Christ to save you from a just punishment that you deserve. In other words, It's not about you praying a prayer once. It's about Christ taking the punishment for your sin upon himself on the cross and you being covered in his righteousness and justification and him calling you and awakening you that your life is over and his life is everything. It's also about a fallen, depraved, sin-saturated rebel who's now changed, transformed, regenerated by God internally. You can't see it. But it's there, and it transforms your inner man. He also indwells you with the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, so that you exchange all that you are for all that Christ is. You want to obey God's word. You want to follow Christ. And you want to do whatever Christ wants you to do. Do you do it perfectly, yes or no? No, but do you want to? That's the point. He gave you a heart that wants to obey even when you fail to. It's not about you praying a prayer once. It's about Christ taking the punishment for your sins. It's James is calling you to have a genuine faith to share with those who have a phony faith. They must turn from their life and completely embrace Christ's life. Go after strays. Why would you want to? Well, because step five, you want to long to see strays genuinely rescued with a faith that works. You want to see strays genuinely rescued with a faith that that works. You want, verse 20, will save his soul from death, eternal death, and will cover a multitude of sins. Only by turning from their life to Christ's life, their way to Christ's way, rejecting their own life, fully embracing Christ's life, only by turning from their will to God's will can they be saved. And again, you don't do it, God does it for you, but it's manifested in your life. He demonstrates himself through you. It's called conversion, and that verse 20 will save his soul from death. That word save is a common word used in the New Testament to describe salvation. Four out of the five times that save is used in the book of James, it's describing salvation. And you and I must be saved. That word means kept from harm. Saved means rescued from just punishment. Saved means delivered and preserved. And here's the bad news. Are you ready? You and I can't do it. can't save ourselves. The Bible's clear. You can't be good enough. You can't be religious enough. You can't be giving enough. You can't be spiritual enough to be saved. You can't stop sinning. I can't stop sinning, nor can we pay the price we owe for the sins we've already committed. We're in big trouble. Only God can save you. Only Christ did the work necessary to pay for sin. He did that on the cross. He died there, taking all of God's punishment upon himself for the sins of his children. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven, and now he stands as the only way anyone on earth can ever be made right with God. No other faith, no other religion will make you right with God, and no other, are you ready, individual belief or individual form of Christianity, any individual can save you. So James is saying, turn to God and repentance and faith alone results in salvation. It's got to be God's way, not your way. It can't be Chris's way, it's got to be the Bible's way. It can't be your way, it's got to be God's way. And God's way defines that it is Christ alone. And salvation is so glorious, it's so complete, it is so awesome that it will lovingly cover an innumerable amount of sins. James says, what does he say there? God can cover a multitude, circle that word, multitude of sins that any repentant sinner has committed. Now here's, again, more bad news. God is so holy, he's so perfect, he's so sinless, he's so righteous, it takes only one bad thought, one bad word, one bad attitude, one time in your life, and you cannot stand in his presence. Sin is such an offense to him that you are now condemned we have a nature because of adam and eve that wants to sin and we have then followed that nature our lives and we have committed sin before a holy god now god in his incredible grace and mercy has provided a way for the multitude of your sins and the multitude of my sins what's he say can be covered see that there in the text They can be covered. He's emphasizing the hopeless condition of the stray, the make-believer, and any and all unregenerated sinners. But God can lovingly cover your sin when you turn to Christ. Not only forgive you, but cleanse you and wash you and make you new. Some of you are so overwhelmed with guilt, God can wash you, cleanse you, and make you new and wash you from that. You can never be so bad that God cannot forgive your sins. Can I hear an amen to that? Right now, Right now, as you sit in this room, some of you are drifting here. Come back to me. You're in the midst of a group of people who are massively sinful. And if you heard their background, if you took the opportunity to tell me about their life prior to Christ and their life, you know, even as a battling, struggling Christian, you would be overwhelmed by the, basically this crowd, and myself included as the chief, are broken toys. We are a mess with sin And yet, God extended massive grace and massive mercy and massive forgiveness to people who didn't deserve it. And the good news of the gospel is His God-forgiving grace is far greater than any sin, any sins, any multitude of sins. That grace is available to those who turn from their sins and repentance and exercise faith and the lord jesus christ in fact what does he say in romans chapter 5 verse 20 where sin increased grace what abounded all the more when you compare your sin to god's grace it's like taking an eyedropper of your sin and dripping it into the pacific ocean it's insignificant now i'm a beach guy so in the past we would have soda at the beach right anybody do that you have your drinks, you got your ice, you know, and you're loading it in there. You're pouring it down, Cherry Coke or Pepsi or whatever it is, and it's sitting there. And you go in the water, you come back out, and you got a little half glass there. The ice is melted. You take a little sip, and it is just as hot as the sand. And you're thinking, this is disgusting. Anybody with me? You've done that? So you take your cup, and you go over to the ocean, and you got that brown liquid in there, and you pour it right there in the water. And it just for just a second, there's a little brown spot, and within just a second, it's gone. That's your sin comparing to the immensity of God's grace. It's unlimited. Your sin's limited. His grace is unlimited. You can't sin so much that his grace is not greater still. And once genuinely saved, you can sing with David in Psalm 32 verse 1, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is what? covered so take this home letter a celebrate the blessings of genuine salvation would you every single one of your sins from the past from this morning when you yelled at the kids to get in the car and they weren't going fast enough to all the rest of your life in the future all of that sin already has been judged and buried and dealt with on the cross of jesus christ there is romans announced. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Would you celebrate that? We are freed, not because of what you did, but because of everything that he did. He didn't need to call me down, chase me down, awaken me, and forgive me and cleanse me, but he did. He did, and he did it to you too. And we need to celebrate that. Celebrate that today, that he chose you and he called you and he made you his child. Thank him for what he's done. Letter B, know the gospel and share the gospel with the lost and the stray. Would you grow in your passion to talk to those who have a faith that doesn't work? Grow in your passion. Listen, we're supposed to catch them like fish. We're supposed to be fishers of men. We're supposed to be ambassadors of good news. We're supposed to long to chase after the lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son. We're supposed to be like lifeguards rescuing drowning men even if they don't want to be rescued. And we're supposed to be like firefighters drawing them out of the fires of hell to call them and pull those wandering saints, you know, so-called Christians from their false faith to true faith in Christ. Go after them, even if it costs you, even if it's difficult. You don't have to be preachy. You don't have to be in their face, but tell them. Tell them the truth that faith without works is what? It's dead. It's dead. It's not true faith. There needs to be a manifestation that you want to obey, Romans six seventeen. You want to follow him. Listen, whoever the Lord is bringing to mind, let that be your focus. Whoever he recalls that has that faith that doesn't work, go after them. Pray. Every day for them and wait for that opportunity to talk to them. Understand, let her see. Let her see. <clears throat> Stop taking people's admission as evidence and make fruit the issue. Like Demas, there are people who seem solid that are not born again, and you know some who are currently manifesting that false faith. And when you see them straying, go after them. Don't be content. Hang with the herd. Don't be content with their confession. Make sure you call them to turn and follow Christ. It should be a part of their heart that they would want to. And until they have a heart that wants to, they're not saved. It doesn't mean that they're perfect. It doesn't mean they're going to be incredible. It just means that they're going to want to follow Christ, and it's going to show over time in their life. They're going to want to be obedient to what they see in the Scripture. They're going to want Christ from a new heart. He gives you that heart and manifests itself through you. So they would turn from sin, follow Christ, manifest that faith that works. Their profession will be backed up with a practice. Otherwise, it's a faith with no works. Don't allow their confession of being a Christian end the conversation. Listen, no good works are necessary to become saved, but once you're saved, there'll be good works. Letter D. Never forget that true salvation is a narrow path that few find. The road to hell. You, you, you've seen the road to hell. It's, it's marked. The road to hell is marked. It has a sign. And you know what the sign says? Are you ready? The road to hell? It says, this way to heaven. And it's broad, and it's easy, and you can get there really simply. You just pray a prayer, walk it. You're good. Get the Jesus sticker. You're okay. That's what it's marked, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible defines Christianity, and it's not Chris defines it. It's the Bible that defines it for the true Believer, Jesus warned you in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small, and the way is what? Narrow, that leads to life, and there are few who find it. Listen, if you're here today, and you are one of the broad road, easy believism, faith without works, then it's time for you to turn to Christ. It's time for you to cry out and say, give me a new heart. Give me a heart that wants to follow you, that, that for, cleanses me and washes me and makes me internally new. I'll look the same, but I won't be the same. And I will want to follow your word. I want to please you and live for you. And I want your forgiveness. I want it genuine real forgiveness that washes over me and and a forgiveness that basically motivates me to live for you even when I stumble and bumble along. You need to turn to Christ today. Will you be one of the few who know Christ on the narrow road or will you be astray? Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would use your word to change our lives, make us more of the men and women you want us to be, we pray that you would be exalted by our response, by our worship. We pray, Father, that you would be pleased with how we respond, and that would mean for some of us that we would actually pray that you'd crack open our hearts and that you'd give us a faith that, that is actually going to manifest itself in works, and for the rest of us that we would celebrate that, and not only celebrate it, but we would be more verbal to those who claim to know you but don't manifest any works Any desire to follow you, to obey you, to please you. We pray, Father, that we would be much bolder with those. And Father, we'd ask that you would be exalted above all, and we give you all the glory for what you'll do. And we pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening today. Sermon audio from the last three years is available by podcast, and a larger archive from Chris Mueller and Faith Bible Church can be found at media.faith-bible.net. And if you would, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps a lot. Thanks, and have a great day.